dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. Today, we're going to bring you our coverage of the eighth episode of the second season of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. This one is called Women's Work. This is the third episode so far this season to feature the word woman or women yeah. in the title. I just listened to this this uh, Stephen King book where they refer to women's work. Oh, okay. What is what is King's outlook on it? Well, in this particular case, he was not talking about cleaning or cooking or anything like that. Good. He was talking about underhanded manipulation behind the scenes to get people to do what they want. Well, frown. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would rather he said cooking. Well, okay. But I've got to say, King and Hulu's creative team, similar outlook on what women's work is in this humble reviewer's opinion. Hmm, interesting. Okay. And I would say that I saw women's work in this episode to be the ones to come up with a plan, the ones who could successfully execute a plan to women who were not even really what we would consider to be allies, really, being able to work together and cooperatively and successfully get things done. Uh, I would say women's work is also the successful taking care of taking care of children, uh, whether that's in you can look at it like, oh, well, that's like a mom world. No, I'm talking in that like divine, more mother nature, like you need a woman's touch kind of thing, mom kind of element that's a little bit different than than just you know, getting them off to carpool. I mean, there's something about mom, like we joke about mom spit can like get anything off, right? Yeah. So that's what I'm going to say women's work is. I don't view the things that they did as being under the umbrella of like conniving or manipulative. I view it as being like what my mom said when I had our our two girls uh, and right after I had them. And it was that, you know, moms do the hard things. And that was the whole thing that was like women in general. You know, sometimes you got to do things that are hard and uh, you have to be willing to make it work. However, you got to make it work. Right. Let me define when I say underhanded there, I don't mean in a way where I look down upon what they did or think that they were in the wrong. I'm just saying that they did it consciously avoiding the attention of the powers that be. Correct. And 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 then that historically, though, what you have to understand is that the powers that be have almost exclusively been men. So in order to ever do anything that's out of the eye of the men, typically it's the women. So I would say that, although, I mean, I agree with you that, you know, you could underhanded is, is, you know, no one can really debate with that, that that's a negative connotation underhanded, but you could say like under the tables, maybe a little bit more, or maybe just off the radar. We'll see in the Stephen King book, a little bit more. The, the end was not to save a baby in the Stephen King book. It was to burn a teenage girl 
alive. Well, so that is awful. That's and different. I mean, obviously, we are frowning <laughs> across the nation on any bullshit like that. But I, I mean, I do think it's important to think about like, you know, it might be like, oh, well, men and women have been given certain characteristics, certainly stereotypically. But why? Why did those characteristics come to be? And is it like, can you uh, really fault women for needing to do things behind their husband's backs when uh, look what happens when the husband doesn't like what she does. So like, let's really think about that for a second. Were they given many choices in the matter? And the, and the, the reality is no, you know, historically never given a choice. So let's get right into this. I know you guys, typically we do not go chronologically, although I swear this last couple of episodes have been written in a way that all of our characters are so intertwined. It's extremely difficult to really pull anybody out as like not a part of the main storyline. Right. So, um, I apologize if you don't like it this way, but we are going to need to really just start from the beginning and work it through. So let's start off with this sort of time jumpy montage that we have that lets us know that some amount of time has gone by to the tune of Easy Like Sunday Morning. It's a whole different feel we're starting this episode off with. Later on, do we learn that it was like 10 weeks? Does that sound right? I want, I mean, definitely weeks and weeks for sure. Because I know Serena Joy says something like we've been, we've been breaking the rules or bending the rules for weeks Yeah, with your consent. So then in that regard, it, yeah, I mean, we've, we've been given the time jump. We thought we would, if you remember in the previous um, podcast, we said I, there probably is going to be a time jump here when Fred is going to have to have been healing. We're not going to have to sit through this hospital stay. This is going to be a quick jump. What? Maybe throw threw me off for this episode. See, there were lots of elements to this episode that tonally and visually left me. What, what's the right word here? Reacting, I guess. Like, okay, um, tell me more. I'm interested. You got me. You got my interest peaked, Mister Daly. Well, we'll cover the main one later. But this part, <laughs> this part is related to that. The viewer just gets this super subtle montage, right? Yes. Where it's a it's a since, quiet since theme. They here. wear the same things every day. There's no real sense of weeks and weeks passing. However, their relationship at the end of it is a lot better than it was in terms of June's probably not expecting a choking out, you know, at any point. You know, it's she's, wise she's to calling never her. No, <laughs> she's <laughs> right. calling her Serena. It's like they've entered into an effective working relationship, basically. That's starting to edge over into some amount of personal caring yeah. about that other I, person. I would say, like, I would say that they are being friendly coworkers right now, not <laughs> friends, but but friendly coworkers. But if you were just binging this shit and just kind of like playing on your phone, coming back again, like. It'd be like an episode ago that right. Serena's kicking her ass, right? And in right. this episode, Serena is actually, I mean, she's still kind of a dick, but she's nice in a lot of scenes. So here's she's the Human deal. in a lot of scenes. And the reason why that Serena Joy is of interest to me is because she is doing this for her own ends, though, Paul. She's not being kind to... June because that's the nice thing to do or a human thing to do. She's doing it because she legitimately needs the head of an editor to be a part of the process. And she specifically 
wants Gilead to go in certain directions. So this is still very much by her design, what she wants to happen. Like, it's not like she's asking June, what do you think? Uh, You know, like, what ideas should I put in here? I mean, she's very much saying, I'm going to write stuff. And they even spell it out. They said, you know, um, June does this narration over the top of voiceover and says, you know, um, she writes and I read it. You know, and so it's not like it's so equitable. It's almost like a boss and a personal assistant who get along. You know, there's no confusion. We're not we're not equals. You know, that she June cannot say, why don't we just throw in that handmaids have like one night off a week or something? Like, right. Her input she doesn't get is, to say anything. Her input is let's change the order of these paragraphs. It's, that kind of, it's but purely nothing, grammatical. Right. Nothing and, nothing like yeah, um, no content. This is bad. You need to try this again. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's not what we saw anyway. I really appreciated the way that they shot this scene because obviously this was an important day that we were we were stepping in on because this was the day that Serena Joy basically needs to break the news that Fred is coming home. And so no longer will they be doing this. And the stare that they give each other for a pretty good amount of beats, I would say, was palpable. That feeling of like... I don't really want to stop doing this and, you know, I'm really going to miss this. And, um, you know, I, I wish this wasn't happening this way. And then for them to just have to end it in a praise be, praise be, it was like, oh, Did, did you maybe even get from June a, a sense of you're letting this go too easy? You know, I think that she is aware enough about the whole process that I don't feel like she is under the impression that Serena Joy really has all this power. Not really. I think that she's seen enough, you know, Mm -hmm. that I think that she is actually probably more aware of what happens in other households than Serena Joy would be because she hears stuff from the other handmaids. You know, my commander makes me do this, my blah, blah, blah. You know, she hears this stuff. Whereas Serena Joy would only see, you know, the facade you know, and nobody's given any dirt up on each other. I don't think not much. So I don't think people really get to know what's happening in other people's households. But the help knows. The help always knows. <laughs> they oh, they know. They've seen your dirty, dirty underwear, people. They they know. They know your habits. So I thought that the one scene um, moment that was worth like highlighting in that was you know June asking, "Do you miss work?" and how Serena Joy came back with that very. It's a small sacrifice for God, blah, blah, blah. And then actually. I hate knitting. Right. Yeah. Actually, you know, lets down her guard and, and you know, gives her a little breadcrumb, you it's know. A small sacrifice. <laughs> it's, you know, she's saying the things she thinks she's supposed to say. That's where when you say, do you think that that June has been lulled into a sense that Serena Joy thinks things should change. No, Serena Joy is not indicating things are going to change. She's just, like she said, sort of bending the rule. I thought it was nice, eerie, and like scary, like foreshadowing that something's going to happen, that Serena Joy left that music box and the rose in a nice vase beside June's bed. So the music box in the first season was a gift that was in the short phase when Serena was trying, right? I would say yes. And then it was taken back. 
it at least wasn't there anymore, right? I don't remember the exact episode where there was like a give me that back, but I do remember that it was like there was a small moment of like, this is something that you could have some music and, you know, I don't know, something nice to look at rather than just the bare bones room, you know, that we have. And certainly the rose in an actual vase was like, wow, you know, that that actually makes it seem like a home, like someplace, you know, that you could actually like, you know, that little area. And it was there was like sort of a, a theme of sprucing in this. Right? There kind of was like a in funny thing. Nick's house, there yeah. was, for sure. Yeah. So we'll get back to them in a moment. Do you happen to know what white roses symbolize? I thought friendship, but- I thought so, too. Let me, you know what? I know yellow roses do. Certainly they do. Ah, so, oh, I, I didn't even know this, Paul. You made me go look this up, and now I did a little research. I'm coming back to you guys. So the White Rose, listen to this, was a nonviolent intellectual resistance group in Nazi Germany led by a group of students and professors at the University of Munich. They left anonymous leaflet and graffiti campaign to actively oppose the Nazi regime. Does this sound like two women's foreshadowed future with the White Rose on her bed? Crazy. That really connects. Yeah, it super does. The group wrote, printed, and initially distributed their own pamphlets. Later on, they brought copies to other cities and in other areas. Does this sound like something that could happen, y'all? Operating from within. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely see that the White Rose could be foreshadowing that. I like it. I like it a lot. There is a future. I and I think honestly the music box with Hannah's picture inside of it, unfortunately, I you know, I know June placed that picture inside not Serena Joy. There is no indicator of course that Serena Joy has any idea that that picture exists or that June was given that picture. I I really see that coming back to bite her. Yeah. I I think it was a terrible idea. I think she needs to hide that picture of Hannah. I do not think it belongs in that box. I hope she only puts it behind it when she's actively using the box and i hope she hides that picture of hannah at any other time you know she's not i i it, it hurts my heart because like that's just gonna be bad the music box question brought up another question for me now i know that women are not allowed to read and write but music yeah are we not allowed to have music i don't know any rules about this yet it is a silent situation for the most part like we don't we as the viewers, of course, get music, but the the homes and their their like the recreational activity does not include like learning an instrument. I think something. you're on to something because the only place we saw anything related to music was the commander's secret room of rule breaking that nobody tells anyone else about. Right. And the only time that it's we've ever seen Trina Joy and June like listen to a record was when they're breaking the rules. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really sure what the rule is about music. And and even giving a music box, which is the same song over and over, almost barely music, you know, just little little tones, that almost seems like breaking the rules, which is like, how come it feels that way? I've never heard anyone say you can't listen to music, but it feels like you can't listen to music. I think Nazi Germany was pretty specific to the kind of music you could you could listen yeah? to. Yeah. Well, huh. Well, so now we have a splitting. We have this team and we kind of split off into Serena Joy on one side and June back to the other. And even I think we kind of have to say she is still most definitely June, but we're going back to Mrs. Waterford and Alfred. 
you know, most definitely. Definitely. What did you think about that Fred homecoming? Was that like the funniest thing when she like Serena Joy like lines them all up uh, inside the house? And he's like, oh, what a pleasant surprise. Oh, I wasn't expecting such an outpouring. It was like so funny, you know, like most all of staring us, at the ground. It's I just... know. It's like the saddest thing. Oh, well, ladies, this is overwhelming. <laughs> right. It's like. What? No, no, no balloons, no banners. Oh my god! Although no Eden did give him a some sort of like welcome home something. I don't know what something she sewed. I'm not sure. No, it was, was like a little collection of stationery. Which, seeing that later when she finds the papers from Nick's and she ties it up the same way that she tied up these papers. Shut I, your lips. I was thinking a little bit like, what did she give him? You, you know what I mean? What? What did she give him? Huh, you guys, that's frightening. I did not catch that. And if that ties back together, nice eagle eye daily. Because that's nuts if she gets involved with that mess. Ah. Okay, so Serena Joy is like, hey, let's all act like normal, right? And she's like, Alfred, come on down. Alfred, like total moody teenager, is like standing on the stairs, cock tip, like... I have no interest in this homecoming shenanigans, but she has to show up, right? She's yeah, got to say like, yeah, we're so happy you can continue to oppress us in your own home. Like awful, awful, awful. Serena Joy going in there and like laying it all out. Like say, look at all the work I did, blah, blah, blah. Fred, jerk face Jones. Right, he's like, you know, that's super. You know, why don't you go think about this in the kitchen? Because <laughs> I need some time. In here alone without you. Man, he just closed that door right in her face. And they take a moment to linger on that face and have that sink in for her like, you've been shut out again. Again. Well, heading over to the kitchen, there's a conversation that she has with June about baby Angela. She is sick. Baby Angela slash Charlotte is sick and nobody seems to know how to help her. It was an interesting conversation and certainly the idea of, you know, is there enough that that actually was being done and is there someone else, perhaps a Martha with the neonatology background <laughs> right. that could help out? I thought, of course, the, the most, um, you know, for me, like heart tugging moment was when June is like, can you imagine being a parent and being like pulled away from your child, how upsetting that would be, Serena Joy. She's supposed to give her something to think about, but do you think Serena connected the dots right then, or do you think she was all about the Putnam baby? Uh, if she didn't connect the dots, I feel like she should later. She's a pretty smart gal. I feel like it would be fair to uh. To like, Wait a second! She was talking about her own kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think she really was. Uh, and I think that those those small moments, though, again, if we're trying to lay a realistic road to Serena Joy's insurrection here, those little moments count. Those little moments where she can say like, oh, man, we are keeping these women from their kids. Oh, man. You know, yeah, like starting to try to put this together. Now, on the flip side, we have this whole market scene that's going on. I am going to call these two scenes what's basically our setup to bring these two women back together on a new mission I'm calling Best Care Slash Support for Angela Slash Charlotte. <laughs> That's a catchy name. Thanks. I'm sure that'll catch on. That's like a hashtag. It's like BCSFAC. Kind of it's, a, it's, a, it's a group I'm trying to get going. But 
Serena Joy is motivated definitely by Naomi. And I think this greater good of like, we can't have the babies dying, right? I right. Think, and maybe some karma she's got to throw out there. Like, you know, I don't want my own baby to die kind of thing. Like, we got to make babies alive, right? Well, then it might get you a favor later. That's always good, too. So this market scene, Janine, using your favorite lingo, Paul. Yeah, she does not return the typical under his eye, blessed be, blah, blah, blah stuff. She says, may the force be with you and chuckles. And that just made me really like Janine a whole lot. (laughs) She was so happy and carefree. And then we find out why. Well, because she has such an amazing placement, Paul. Right. No blowjobs. No. And all she has to do is just just do the ceremony. Just the ceremony. That's it. It's the best. Emily is having none of this. She's like, it is not the best to be raped. Janine. Like, you want to be like, did I not teach anything to you in the colonies? Right. Exactly right. Emily uh, is kind of just a spectral figure in this one, just kind of floating around, frowning at people. Well, she's provided one very important element. She says the line that anyone helping Gilead deserves to be blown up, right? Mm-hmm. And June has to have a moment where she's like, was I just helping Gilead? Was all those like, was all that paperwork that I was doing with Serena Joy, like, am I now like a collaborator in this mess? So it gave her like a moment of pause. That was like, my, that was mm-hmm. another problem I had with that montage was that since, I mean, there was the jump in treatment, but there was between Serena and June, but the jump in June's own mental state of now she's in this gray area of is she helping she was, Gilead? I think she was. I mean, she, I don't even think it's a gray area. She was 100% collaborating, like 100%. And, and she, they sort of addressed that because they had her wonder aloud, you know, like I've always been on the naughty list. I'm an adulterer, but you know, Serena Joy, you know, here she is breaking the rules. I wonder how she's feeling with this, how she's dealing with this. Mm -hmm. And she basically, you know, puts together that she seems happy and okay with breaking the rules. Like, so that was like a good sort of thing for her to realize that like Serena Joy's, you know, her, the rules are fluid with Serena Joy. (laughs) You know, the ends can justify the means with her. Whereas, you know, and honestly, I mean, she thought that of Fred, but we'll discuss that later. So what did you think of that really super sad baby ambulance? Like everyone else watching it was like, that's a siren or an alarm that I've never heard before. And of course, the handmaids have to kneel down and because it's a baby ambulance. So I imagine it's like they have they have very few cars uh, except for very official true. vehicles. Right. And but with that very unique siren. And, that, the, and it had the it had the diaper pin and in like a heart kind of thing. That's like, get the fuck out of the way. I mean, in today's society, when you hear the siren, it's not unusual to see people just sitting in front of an ambulance, just like, what's this thing happening to me behind me? Like, I don't know what to do. You see this all the time. In Gilead, they'd take your name down for for that Oh, I I think you would just be shot and like, they'd pull your body out of the way for sure. But I thought, you know, it made me realize again, like what... What this society is supposed to be trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there was a really good question that we got on our Gilead online um, on Facebook that really made me like question this and remind myself, ask myself, was the is the concern of Gilead the idea that our population 
growth would be dwindling because 61%, you know, fertility rate gone down? Or is it babies? Because it's, it's, I know that sounds like so silly, but it's like, if the population is a concern, why are we constantly killing people left and right, hanging people, killing people, doing stuff who may have great fertility? You know, like we know that the guy who's the bread truck driver, he clearly has working sperm. He has a kid. Yeah. Why do they don't have him in like a milking barn somewhere? You know, <laughs> I don't know. Cause I know we don't do it that way. I know, I know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like they're willing to kill people as like resources, right? But at the same time, are very concerned about babies. How do you like reconcile this? Are you concerned about population or you're just concerned that people who want to be parents? can't seem to make children. It's starting to feel like the baby stuff was a convenient way for the people that organized Gilead to justify everything else that they wanted to do, their entire platform. You know what I mean? Okay. So talk to me about this. What does this mean? Creating this whole stratified structure of- of Putting men back at the top. Yeah. Well, and then the caste system below it, um, it's it's all in the name of, of having- babies and then the the other part that puts the stink on it is they can grow those babies into gilead citizens whereas it's been very hard to convert former americans into gilead citizens you know what i mean you know what i have a question for you do you think that a baby born of a handmaid is like an untouchable moving forward because who the hell is gonna shoot Uh, Like, say that kid's 20 years old or 18 years old or whatever and mouths off or does something stupid. Like, are they untouchable because they came through this entire friggin' process, all the rituals? Think of all the rituals that came about to make this person here. If that person in any way steps out of line, can they be killed? Are they going to have body parts chopped off? Like, what? I think you're onto something. What will happen with that person? I'm really curious. I bet I bet they do get a lot of allowances and passes up to a certain point. I have and no And it would be clue. much further than the child of an Econo person. I am so super curious because in many ways, it just seems like if you would, if you would be willing to kill a child that came of this handmaid's whole setup, then you are like so deranged. You know what I mean? That like we can't, I don't even, this is like beyond, like you're breaking your own system. You know, like this is ridiculous, you know? Not that it isn't ridiculous already, listeners. Of course it's deranged and ridiculous already. But just like just trying to understand and, and give any credence to their system, like I don't get it. And I'm with that, never ever thought about the idea of like, is this about the population dwindling? And if it is, then why are you going around killing people all the time? I think they want babies because they want pure like followers. Eden 2.0 followers, right? Okay. But the other part about killing the adults, well, that's not so bad because they have limited resources anyway. Okay. All right. All right. That I mean, it's stupid, but I could see that being logical in Gilead. Well, certainly bringing, you know, Emily and Janine back, you mentioned in the last podcast, really, you know, it, it questions this whole, their whole system of like, if you were a cast off in the colonies, but now we're just going to bring you back and put you right back into the market with all the rest of the handmaids right? and act like everything's fine. How deeply do we feel like you are an unperson? I don't, we were willing to do that to you and put you out in that toxic waste, which is, I don't know. It's, it's, they're very like almost schizophrenic with life, if you will. The importance of life, the, 
value of life. I mean, they're all over the map. It, it's, it's wild to me. So let's talk about poor Janine. We loved how she was coming in down this scene. Happy, jokey, jovial Janine. Love her. Love her little spirit. I love her, her blowing a dandelion spirit, right? Yeah, but then she finds out it's her baby that's sick. Uh, she can't handle that. I was quite surprised at the way that that June was able to continuously brush off the Guardian people. Like they were being like walked back and Janine's like mm-hmm. freaking out and the Guardian's like, knock that off. And she's like, I got it. I got it. And the Guardian would just back off. Like it was like, okay, I, that's I, funny. Why wouldn't the Guardian turn to her and be like, no, you shut up. I whole, got this. The whole sequence made me question about what the, I mean, the Guardian was there probably to keep them from running away or anything to happen to them. Well, but remember, Paul, the story is that that one had been kidnapped. So perhaps for their own protection, security guards. The only thing I could come up with was that maybe they have an additional directive to prevent the handmaids from touching each other. You know, like passing of notes, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So when she's having to calm Janine down by like, touch her, you know, like calm down Janine, maybe that's where the forbidden part of the I don't know. Ac- well, but is. it all seemed like that they were, that they were upset by Janine's yelling. Yeah. Not really how she was planning on calming her down, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, was, I was just trying to think of a good reason very... why, because being upset about a person or not, sorry, restricting a person who is being upset that that just doesn't make any sense. Well, I mean, and how, how do you even like legislate that? Like what if all the handmaids started crying when they saw the baby ambulance? Right. They'd have to all be roughed up. Weren't they? I mean, but shouldn't they? Aren't they allowed to be there? They are the baby makers. Are they not allowed to be sad? Like literally, I'm like, I'm really asking again, what are the rules of this society? Everyone's supposed to be stoic. Is this yeah. the pretend rules? That's starting to feel like I don't know. they just needed some added tension. You I know? think so. I'm with you wholeheartedly. So, all right, here's the situation. Now we're going to Go back to our playbook, okay, guys? We've got Serena Joy over here. On one hand, she's got she's got Naomi crying because Angela's sick. We've got Janine over here with June. She's crying because Charlotte's sick, right? Yeah. Now, both these women put their heads together, Serena Joy and June, and be like, all right, we can figure this out for best care slash support of Angela slash Charlotte. We can come up with an idea, right? Interesting to me that, S- that SJ knew that there was a Martha who was a champion neonatologist. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Why would she know such information? Unless she maybe took some extra time out when she was in Fred's office and read some files. But given the way that they have treated women, do you suppose that there are files? Or do you think that the fact that you used to be you know, an ambassador to the UN or whatever you used to be. Is that even important in Gilead at this point? Or is it important that we've assigned you to stir the spaghetti pot? Because that's <laughs> what Martha's do. I think to your point in the previous episode about how in the world is information or reports or pictures or anything getting to Canada, I think that that has to speak to some amount of files being kept. Now, I don't know exactly what that all looks like or means, but Serena Joy knew that June had been an editor, which means that certainly files are kept and they are somewhat complete. Now, are they going to show us any of that or why? 
They could because if what we're thinking of that Serena Joy, June and Nick, a.k.a. Team Fuck You, come back together here, they are going to need help and they're going to need to know who within our Gilead ranks could be of help. And the best way to do that would be to have records to some records rather than just a bunch of word of mouth stuff which is what june's been operating off i would think right now that i'm just this is just what i'm surmising you guys i've got no insider information but i'm just throwing it out i think that's how some of those allies could be okay gained yeah all right so then we come up with a two-pronged plan right we know that angela needs um care and so serena joy is open and willing to actually have a conversation with the Putnams about allowing Janine to come and see the baby. Okay. Were you pretty surprised that Serena Joy was willing to go and talk to Naomi about this? I was because of her initial reaction was, don't be stupid. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) That was by the book. But then it started to feel like, well, this baby's not going to make it. Even for Serena, maybe that's just too cruel to allow the baby, the baby's mother to to just not ever know. I'm not sure. I, I don't feel like Serena Joy's reasoning was fully fleshed out there. I think that because we have June as our sole narrator of our story, we don't really know why Serena Joy would feel so compelled to actually ask the Putnams. I kind of felt like it would have been more realistic to have June have a conversation with Lydia somehow, maybe at one of her visits, you know? Yeah. And she say, Janine is doing really badly, and I think that she needs to see the baby. Is there any way you could talk to the Putnams? Blah, blah, blah. She seemed like a more reasonable conduit than Serena Joy suddenly thinking that the handmaid had any right to do shit. Do you suppose Serena knew the rule that Lydia quotes back to June when she brings Janine to the hospital about the handmaid is supposed to have no contact with the baby after they're separated? I'd imagine she knew that rule. I think everybody kind of wrote that rule. Everybody knew that rule. Yeah. I mean, I think that that was like a given because, you know, a thousand billion reasons, right? Yeah. So, yeah, no, I think that that was all well known and it was a very big surprise that, well, I just thought it was very surprising that Serena Joy decided to become this advocate for Janine the Handmaid. It just, I don't know. That didn't fly with me. Lydia has a soft spot for Janine. Lydia is willing to say she's like a little off and we have to do something. Like she's always had kid gloves at post plucking her eye out, of course. Yeah. But you know, when she was leading her out of the Putnam house and stuff, like she was she was always more careful with Janine. So it, it seemed to me like she would be aware of Janine's very fragile mental state. How'd you, did how did you like that scene with Serena Joy and the Putnams? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Naomi's like coming across coming apart at the seams, right? Can't, oh, yeah. Can't like, even believe this is being asked. Right. Mr. Putnam's like, well, what do we have to lose? <laughs> like, Wrong. Putnam totally was on board daily. And you know why? Because the previous scene in the market, we had a little reminder of Mr. Putnam. BJ extraordinaire. Exactly. Janine's like, well, I don't have to do any BJs. And so now here's Mr. Putnam, a la Captain BJ. And he's like, I think she could show up here. That could work out just fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Because guess what, Paul? I don't. They don't have a handmaid in the house. Didn't we all decide once you have a baby, like that person's out of your house? So guess what? 
you don't have anybody. Yeah, I don't think Naomi's getting down there. I don't think they're allowed. I don't think they're allowed. Just in the same way that like Fred wasn't wasn't allowing Serena Joy. Remember? Oh, I don't yeah. think they're allowed. Well, without a handmaid, then what do you what what are you stocking it up for? Daily? This is about restrictions. I have no idea. I mean, this is their lunacy. <laughs> This is not the way I would write my society. You guys, side note, every time we're anywhere, no matter where we are, we have any kind of criticism of where we are. I'm like, if I own this place, this is how I would run it. I literally said it about four times today. Like if I own this Target, if I own this <laughs> restaurant, if I, were, if I worked at this workout place, these are things I would change. This is something we ongoing do, right, Daily? Because we don't own any businesses. No, just that, this one. Yeah. So, so thanks for making that possible, listeners. But, and we're doing it exactly as we want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so hope you enjoy our choices. Oh, Lord. Anyway, so if I own Gilead, Paul, I would. this is not the way I would run it. It's not, it would be so much better than this mess. First step, they allow. Janine can look. And Serena Joy is willing to ask Fred for additional medical help with the neonatologist Martha. Big step. And Lydia's very unhappy with this observation booth, Janine. Did you think it was fair that Lydia said, if Janine basically breaks, I'm holding you responsible, June? Totally fair. Totally fair. Lydia is in charge of these women and Janine is kind of broken toys, you know? She already she's already on kind of like a lifeline here, you know, back from the colonies from you know her indiscretions right so um yeah yeah that that's totally what you would say if you were lydia i thought they did a great job of setting up the motivation for serena joy to decide to go ask fred about this neonatologist because they had this really interesting all glass situation where you had like lydia june and janine over observing the baby and like in like an l you had the neonatologist serena joy and the putnam's obviously being given bad news and the baby being smack in between. That was really nice set design, really nice, again, like plot uh, layering to where we understood how this was getting like more and more ratcheted up. These were the scenes that when I said earlier caused a reaction within me. Oh, okay. These were the scenes because I have seen this stuff firsthand 15 years ago when our girls were in the NICU. All that stuff looked about right. I mean, and you could you could tell it was pretty amped up because they have very few babies. So the ones they got, they got to make sure they survive. So they take every precaution, right? Right. And so seeing that baby just laying there, our girls were always, I think the word is motile, moving around and doing stuff. But we saw a lot of babies in the NICU that were just laying there, just like that baby. Totally sick. We recognize the signs of a very sick baby, and that was a very sick baby. And definitely, I I agree with you. It it can be extra hard for us if you guys don't remember from previous podcasts. Our girls were born at 23 weeks, um, which you're supposed to go to 40 weeks. So they were 15 ounces and one pound two. They were minute. They were from my wrist to my elbow in length. and So small, they didn't have a butt. (laughs) Okay. Or skin yet was more what I was going to say. Skin also. If you touch their skin, it was like jello, like your fingerprint would stay on them. So, I mean, we're talking extremely early and and those scenes were difficult to see and difficult to see a doctor giving bad news because like we've told you guys before, our 
one daughter Lauren is is deaf and blind. And right. Not all our news was good. Right. We certainly were told bad news um, in the NICU. So we can we can respect the anguish of those doctors' meetings. I do want to take a, a slight pause and and jump over to our doctor. I thought they did a lovely job of bringing in this Martha and showing her fear and her confusion about where they were even taking her. Mm -hmm. An apprehension about actually doing what she was asked to do because women that do that get killed. It was fascinating because it was so similar to June's reservations about even taking the pen from Serena, you know, her taking it so slowly and like feeling it in her hands. When the doctor was you know, she was she was filling up with tears to even put on her lab coat. And then when the when the physician's assistant there or, or fellow doctor went to hand her the stethoscope, that same feeling that touching the stethoscope and, and feeling it on her neck, like you saw that rush of, you know, all of those emotions coming over her face. That's a lot of good work for a, for a day worker. Amazing. <laughs> right? on, on Amazing. And, and really a very small scene. I mean, how many how many shows have we seen where a doctor has had to come in and give some amount of news and leave? Countless. You, you forget who they were. You forget what they look like. You forget, you know, anything about them. And you certainly didn't get, you know, all that much of emotion out of them. It's so mundane. And this, I thought that they sold the the breaking of the rules for the doctor. The The intense need to keep this baby alive was I thought totally sold when they rattled off those lists of tests they were going to do. That's every test I could possibly imagine under the sun, you know, yeah. from CAT scans to heart tests to blood tests. I mean, everything under the sun. They never did tell us what it was that the baby supposedly had. No, we know that that kind of thing looks like something they call failure to thrive. It did look like failure to thrive. And especially, do you know why? Because when we saw that baby in there, we were trying to figure out how much time has passed. That baby did not look like a 10-month-old. No. You guys think of a 10-month-old. It is natural for, for somewhere between 9 to 12 months for you to like take your first steps. This baby still looked like an infant. Yes. I mean, talk about failure to thrive. Holy smokes. This was a disaster of grand proportions. You kind of wonder, is Lydia checking in on this baby? Because this business, Failure to Thrive, is something they don't wait till 10 months to say, oh, by the way, your baby is really not big right. enough, meeting the milestones, rolling over, whatever they're supposed to be doing by then, they're not doing. Th that's well known weeks ago. Right. You know? Agreed. I don't, this baby looked very small and did not look to have the, the, the right milestones met for, for a baby as, as old as 10 months. Did you expect Fred to have the reaction he did to Serena Joy when she comes and talks to him about potentially bringing this Martha? I was very disappointed in Fred, but he has been a different guy this season. Last season, he, he broke a lot of rules and he almost went down because of it. This season, he's being a more uh, assertive guy at work, and he is more, what would you say, in falling in line with the way that he's supposed to be according to their ideals. Yeah. He said a line when he came back to the house right after the hospital that he was like, he was like admiring his old house. 
from the outside. Yeah. He was and asking Nick if he, you know, just ever seen anything so beautiful, right? Yeah. Like he really had this whole different, I don't know. Like I wondered a little if he had a little amnesia or if he was just like a little, you mm. know, when people are close to death at times, you know, they can get shook and then they come back and they have all this appreciation sure. for, for the world that they had before. But it was weird because the way that he came back and the ominous music should have cued this this thought in everyone's head he was like a meaner guy who came back like he was like more insane well he'd just been blown up that might do it well being blown up does make people in a bad mood that's for darn sure <laughs> i don't know i i really was disappointed i was really disappointed in his whole you know god is gonna do whatever and i think this is one more moment that you could put down if you were starting to make your list of reasons why serena joy no longer can keep a baby in this house and may feel motivated to head on out with June. I would say that if you find out that your husband is not willing to do anything and everything within his power to keep a baby alive, that might be like a sign that you need to walk, sister. Yeah, it's clear he was thinking more about his position. Because if he rules. was if he was seen as the guy who let a Martha do her actual job, he would go he he might go down for that. Selfishness. Total selfishness. And just like head up your ass. Like, are you really serious? You think God, Jesus, anyone else, whomever you pray to would ever say like you're right let let a child die that that just makes good sense i think in the Come on. In, in the uh bibles that they publish in gilead it might read it that way i think actually. it might just say like do what fred or whomever is uh, is in right. charge of you say just do right. what they say love uh, god right. like that's what it is ask says. a commander <laughs> right see commander's notes uh okay so this ratchets this entire scene up to this like second level where now having janine just be able to look at the baby is not enough anymore now it seems that the baby is is likely to die so they go ahead and let this like extra part happen where she's allowed to touch and hold the baby did you trust janine in all this i would have been really apprehensive at that moment but you and i have the education to know that very sick babies will do better when they are laying skin to skin on another person they like their moms best, but they'll take anybody. Aw, they like their dads too. And so in like very poor countries where they don't have much going for them in the ter in terms of quality neonatal care, they will do this. It's called kangaroo care and it's skin on skin contact. And it's it's the best they can do, you know, in for lack of other resources. We have photographs of this of like we would go to the NICU and we would wear button down shirts with the express idea that we would lay the girls on each of our chests. Each of us would have one and put them directly against our skin. And it was not very long after that we figured out like uh, this entire hospital setting is not how a baby could ever survive. You know, I know that that sounds very strange, like, but you go to the hospital to feel better. But if you are a baby who just needs to eat and grow and get bigger, like this failure to thrive situation or like a tiny preemie, a lot of that has to do with like feeling exactly what the neonatologist said. Love them, safe, warm. This is how you grow a baby. And we can tell you that from experience because we grew too, just <laughs> like this, just right. like this. So we can honestly tell you that, yeah, that our whole goal, once we started to realize that like they, all their numbers would go up when we were there, everything, they would do so much better. They would eat so 
much more. They would do everything. As long as we were holding them, it was like, oh, man. And I basically looked at Paul and was like, we basically need to like jailbreak these babies like out of here. And we pretty much we pretty much did that. It's not an overnight thing. But yes, we did. Six months later. It took six (laughs) months. But we did get those little gals out of there. And they're 15 now, y'all. So, yay. Now, what did you think was going to happen once these results start yielding themselves? We have the baby start getting better. Mm-hmm. Lydia, thrilled, does like a whole boogity dance about like babies and everybody. I mean, she was like the happiest endowed face you could ever imagine. There was a lot of, um, a lot of usage of dawns and sunsets i like that in this in this episode and the scene where they all wake up and janine is singing with the baby it's there's a big bright sun coming through the window right and and i'm gonna take that as something new starting life that that sort of thing i think but how the Putnams allow Janine to stay in the loop. I mean, Mrs. Putnam is going to be like, great, thanks. Okay, we got it. And- I, that's that's going to be the trick of this is like, what do you do? Because here's the weirdest part. If Naomi wasn't involved, I think Mr. Putnam would be fine with the setup. If it was like Warren, Janine, and a baby, I think you'd be a-okay. It's really Naomi who's the problem in this mixture, right? That throws the whole system out the window. But yeah, I mean, she's clearly it's true on the older side of momming. Oh, well, right? I, we're not talking about age. We're just talking about like, I don't think that Naomi and Warren get along. Naomi has no love for this baby. No, I she's mean, very cold to it all the time. Honestly, you guys, when the, when the doctor came in and even when we heard them order a CAT scan, I had the biggest fear that this was going to be shaken baby syndrome where like Naomi lost her patience and shook a a crying baby because she talks about how she cries all the time. And I thought, oh my God, this baby is going to be brain damaged because that's what happened. And then you wouldn't see any external markings, you know, on the baby, but that could explain what the hell was going on. That's some dark shit, but not too dark for this show. No, not too dark. And in fact, something that I feel like Serena Joy would have like jumped on her neck, right? If that's what had happened. Absolutely. That might be a capital offense in Gilead. Well, like we said, is it a capital offense to kill a baby or a child of Gilead? We don't know. We don't know. I bet it is. I would hope it is, but we don't know. I mean, it's a capital offense in Texas to kill kids six years and younger. So, I mean, it's got to be. As it should be. So, even though Lydia is thrilled, and I did want to take note of exactly what you said. Janine, mom, stays up all night with the baby. She actually throws off her handmaid's outfit so that she can be as skin on skin as possible with the baby. Mm-hmm. And... Gilead and all the eyes on her go to sleep. It was interesting to me that it was like, that's what it took. It took for like the Putnams and Lydia, everybody to like be essentially out of the picture for this, like what I'm going to consider the like natural state of like the mother and the baby and the sunlight and the, you know, throwing off the uniform and everything was like, and now everybody can breathe and grow over here, you know? Mm hmm. The other, uh, I'm going to throw us off a little bit here, but the other usage of the of the bright sun coming through the window was that scene when Fred was taking his room back, right? Yes. It was coming through the window behind Serena. She's all lit up. I think that's sort of suggesting a better way forward, right? Yeah. And then 
the shots, the the reaction shots with Fred were completely in the dark. Yeah, I bet for a lot of people, you can barely make him out, you know, because a lot of people have complained that they feel like that the show is so dark, it's even difficult to see yeah. things on the screen. So I bet, yeah, he may only just be like almost impossible to see because he's kind of in the crack of the door anyway. It's difficult to see him the whole time. But you're right. I mean, they're doing a lot of play on light and dark and, you know, certainly making you think, right? Yeah. So now let's go back to the Waterford house because we have the overjoyed June and Serena having saved the baby operation. Best care and support for Angela slash Charlotte. A rousing success, Paul. But this season, man, has been given has given us some of the roughest imagery I've ever seen on TV. Right. I think so. This scene is not pleasant to watch. However, however, it is the exact kind of thing someone like Serena Joy needs to change things. Unfortunately, I mean, I don't advocate hitting someone to change how they feel, <laughs> but but Serena might have needed it. Is that is that okay to say? I think I no. I I would not say. I, I, I would not end your sentence that Serena needed it. I think Serena needed it in order for her to realize that her connection to Fred was so far gone that he no longer valued her over these, you know, Gilead rules and whatnot. He did not beat her like someone following the rules. He, no, he didn't like hit her like once or twice. He beat her like someone that has a lot of hard feelings about her. Exactly. And yeah, and he wanted to dominate her in a way. This was, you're right. This was not like the consequences on the board says two strikes with a rod or something. So I very unwillingly have to do this. I don't want to do it, whatever. No, this, you're right. I mean, and not this felt pretty off the cuff, actually, in terms of like posted rules. I don't know, but the way that he stared into June's eyes the entire time that he was beating Serena Joy with the belt, belt is his belt, seemed like, extra psychotic to me like they have found so many ways to layer the extra insanity on something that again it would be one thing like fred could have turned away and even had like a tear in his eye like i can't believe i had to go this far but no he was the opposite he took it to the another level and was like staring into the eyes of the handmaid like oh my god what the hell or of the co-conspirator as you might view it Mm-hmm. Did you think that Serena Joy's logic was sound? Saying like, Fred, we've been doing this for weeks with your consent. Like, what the frig? Why are you now yelling at me? And we were trying to save this baby. Like, did you feel like she had any ground, any hope? I did. I did. Those, But those were her, her strongest platforms. And ultimately, it, I think it came down to that he had already said no. And she did it anyway. I definitely think that. And of course, that she used the official like route to do it. I mean, she didn't go sneak the Martha out of her house and be like, or or since we saw that um, Eden was able to be borrowed out to the um, Webster family. Well, she wasn't sneaky. She didn't like say like, oh, do you think that your Martha could come over and sleep at our house and have like a little Martha sleepover tonight? You know, just they they could exchange recipes, whatnot. We're just getting tired of the same old, same old. We just like some different cooking. Her spaghetti pot is really, we've had enough. We've had enough SpaghettiOs. We're looking for something in a ravioli, right? Right. No, she didn't do that. Like she used the official mechanisms 
to she make had guardians something happen. Go get her. Yeah. Yes, and the and their actual like memo paperwork was done. That's of course what was like very I guess unnerving to Fred because who knows what else she could have written or write in the future. Right, like she's been ordering like takeout and stuff, <laughs> right. expensing everything right. constantly <laughs> under the under Fred J's right. name. Serena goes and like cancels the hot tub she ordered oh my god nice okay so the aftermath of this beating which was awful you guys just awful i i paul knows me so well that what was the first thing that you did when you saw him take his belt off i turned the volume down so that we could hear when they were talking if i needed to turn it back up but not but had it low enough so that when the beating started it could get down to mute levels very quick why did you feel the need to do that you've always had this thing about women and children getting beaten and how it's not entertainment facts so yeah i really appreciate it in fact i didn't have to say anything which was like wow that i don't i feel like that was the first time that you like lunged for the clicker instead of me being like grab the clicker grab the clicker because you can like see it coming and i can't hear it coming like that thought it was interesting how they have june bounce between serena joy and fred and they're equally rebuffed behavior towards her. Now, what were you thinking when Serena Joy went in her bedroom, was crying, and like actually we saw some of the wounds? Tough scene. I got to see the extent of it. And it, I mean, he really, they cut away from that scene. So we got to see that there were many welts overlapping each other on her thighs and backside. I think she needed to see that to see the, I mean, she lived through it, obviously, but now she has the potential of like a lifelong oh, I think scarring yeah. from, from what just happened to her. All this is part of the process that is going to birth Serena into something else. Maybe not tomorrow, but soon. I completely 100% agree. And I think that the permanent nature of those scars will give her the motivation if she's ever feeling a little unsure. All she has to do is, you know, feel the back of her leg or whatever and know like he's he's willing to do this to me. So no longer is there any level of like commitment to one another or even like respect to the point of like not harming one another, you know, like yeah. he's willing to put me out there. In any which way he sees necessary. Well, you one know? way to look at it, if you were her, might be like, I was shot in the formation of this whole stupid thing. And now as a result of it, I'm getting beaten, you know, like it wasn't enough that I gave my uterus or whatever, but now I have to get beaten. No way. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it would be extremely motivating to uh, many, many people. And I really hope that they play this in a way moving forward. That will empower someone who maybe feels like that they're in this situation because they are they are bringing Serena to the point of a battered wife. I think it's really important to see how they handle this next part. You know, how will she behave? What will she do? What- in a culture where women don't get to tell anybody about that and have anybody give a shit. But but also in a current day culture in a, in in the world here where there is a huge push for empowering women and to speak up and to change your situation. You don't have to stay in it. You know, you should, you should do everything you can or you, and we will all support you and support one another if you need to leave a bad situation. And so I'll be interested to see how the showrunners and how the writers 
walk a line of, you're right, being true to Gilead and true to the insanity of that. And at the same time, knowing how many viewers must be watching this and feel like they're in a situation like this, what will they have this main character do? Mm-hmm. How will they make her behave? What will they have her choices look like? I-, I don't know what her choices really are. I feel confident that her and Nick and June are endgame. Like they have to go out of this together because not one of them can really stay behind. I think. I believe. That's an awesome prediction. I hope it's I hope it's remotely right. Because I really, I mean, not that I, I know a lot of people don't have any love or patience for Serena Joy, but I do think that they that if you take it in a really broad sense of they've tried to show that she got in over her head and that she has been, you know, kind of almost like a uh, Stockholm syndrome, almost, you know, where she's so in in this system and so ingrained in this system that, you know, she she doesn't have anything else to do a lot of the times except for knit, (laughs) even though she hates knitting. You know, I see with the three of them getting away at some point is that once they're away from protection, wouldn't Nick and June look at each other and be like, why do we need her? She's not in the, she's not part of the equation. Well, maybe that would be a very exciting upcoming You're carrying the baby. I'm the father. Who's, (laughs) what does she have to do with it? (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree. Although if you actually like try to think about it, we don't really know. It's potentially Fred's baby as well, right? We don't know. There's a chance. Not till we see those eyebrows. Are we going to know if it's Nick's or not, right? Right, right. But I don't know. I, I think there's been zero promises made except for that. If if Hannah comes back into play, then if Serena Joy has some way to get to Hannah and there could be a trade you give me that baby, I'll give you this baby. Do you think that June would choose Hannah or the new baby or what? That would be a horrible situation for her because I, I don't know that she could choose. It would be like the, the deal just expires without her choosing because she's already told this baby, I'm not going to let you be raised here. And she has already in that airplane scene kind of resigned herself to needing to try some something else with Hannah. So just the fact that she's back in... Gilead doesn't mean necessarily that that decision to leave Hannah behind has changed. Okay. While she's still pregnant, she's at least able to get two going at the same time under her own steam. <laughs> right, you know right, what I mean? right. One pair of legs, two bodies. Right. Right. Completely agree. I, I don't know. I don't know what to see that she would do. I don't know. I mean, certainly I can say from a mom point of view, if you've, have, if you've had, you know, one living in your life for eight years or however many with Hannah versus one that you just gave birth to. I mean, of course you instantly fall in love with the baby and all that kind of stuff. But I could see, especially having her lived that experience with Moira earlier about getting paid for a baby and turning a baby over. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that is any foreshadowing for her ability to be able to hand a baby over for some other thing of value. And so I wonder in the way that Moira did that, if there was anything to that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Again, it's sort of like the we've already established that you're willing to give a baby up. We're all just playing a game of how much, you know, and they sort of showed that with Moira, right? Like your price was 250. What is yours? Well, I need to have my older kid back. Okay, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe that's going to come into play. So Serena Joy is going to not allow June to comfort her in any form or fashion. Did you expect her to allow June in? No, not yet. 
I think it would have been so humiliating to have somebody watch my husband hit me and then want to come and and comfort me later or whatever. I think that the humiliation factor, as weird as that might sound, like she didn't she didn't do anything. She shouldn't be humiliated. I think it would keep you from wanting to see anybody, you know? Yeah. What do you think of June's play to go down and try to sweet talk the commander? She is playing everybody she can this season and so the con- the the commander she has already tried you know try to try to weasel into his good graces and so in her mind she knows what she thinks he wants to hear just the supplicating i'm sorry it just was a thing that we did you know like in because uh, kind of approaching it like a like a child or something like that because that's the way the handmaids are supposed to be kind of seen even though they're baby makers which children are not it's it's a a weird icky thing there so did you think fred would bite did you think that 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 i mean so you 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 foresaw that she would go down there and try did you think that he would allow her in there especially given that weird scene where friend went upstairs and was like knocking on her door giving her the knock knock like completely expecting her to be in there and then she's not i think he was going in there to once again, go for some sort of intimate act with her. Potentially, his blood was still up from just beating his wife. Maybe he needed alone time at that point. But it was more like he was disappointed in Offred too, just couldn't beat her. Especially, I feel like the way he said, you need to go to bed, like the baby needs rest. I feel like that is the kind of business that like Lydia says stuff like that and Serena Joy says stuff like that. When they want to like dehumanize June, they want to act like you're just the incubator. You're only here for the baby. Right. And we're only looking at the baby. We only care about the baby. And so therefore, you know, whatever my comment is, you know, it's only about the baby. It's not about you. It was the first time that I felt like that, that Fred had rebuffed her like that. But I do unfortunately think when he was in the room and he saw the music box and he saw the rose, I really worry that he may have taken back Hannah's picture. As mm. like private punishment between the two of them. Yeah, we didn't see if that was the case. Yeah, because he came in, he was messing around with the music box, he saw the rose, and then the scene basically cut off. But I don't know. I have no idea because that would kind of be the right punishment if you think about it. I mean, you can't touch her, obviously. That leaves taking stuff away. And I think, too, that he had shown this kindness to her by giving the the Hannah picture. And so I think that, you know, that's like the ultimate, you know, taking it back. Like, don't expect for me to be kind to you again. I think she'll st- still keep working on him. And I think he will let something slip. I think so too. Because, you know, that's the way it works. Because he was crooked before. I think it's an effort to try to be, like if he was completely back on track to be, you know, the picture perfect commander, he wouldn't have gone up to her room for whatever that visit was for. Well, so you know what? And thinking of that and knowing that, you know, the previous commander had gotten his hand cut off for having an affair with the white, with the handmaid, right? Yeah. What about setting Fred up? What about Nick telling? See, the team is not really functioning as a team right now anymore, but- that would be something that they would need to put all their heads together and corroborate. If you're going to tell a lie or at least an embellishment, everybody's got to know. Even I though mean, even though they have plenty of good truth. It's really not an embellishment. I mean, it took her to, you know, a whorehouse, made her dress up like this. Uh, please, anything outside the ceremony. But anything. you would need it 
I think you would need it all three of them. Nick saying he was under orders, Alfred saying she was scared, and Serena saying I'm not having affairs in this house. I, I found out afterwards or, or something, you know, something I don't know, plausible, but she needs to know what to say and when to say it, you know? Yes. Yes. Cause I mean the way that the Putnams were all exposed was because Jenny was yelling on the bridge. <laughs> Like, you were doing this, but, you know, what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? So I'm interested to see if somebody could use that. I mean, they do have blackmail on Fred and they do do bad things to commanders. They have already laid the groundwork for that. So something bad could definitely happen. Now, they gave the one line that I do think that we should like highlight because it it is important, especially to listeners who maybe had never heard it before. The whole idea that men are afraid of women laughing at them and women are afraid of men killing them. What's your take on that? Pretty harsh to both of us. It's something that you've told me before, but it's not something that I walk around just knowing. You know what I mean? That's not like in the front of my mind. Like this woman I'm dealing with is afraid that I'll just snap and kill her. Really? Really. Yeah. Interesting. That's because I don't act like you're going to snap and kill me, but. (laughs) No, for real. I have told Paul this before, and it is something that I feel. It is something that I am conscientious of when I'm dealing with it with men. And it's something that I've actually mentioned on this podcast where, you know, men are in my personal space or doing something. and, And it's like my whole job is not to make them angry. Is not to, I don't want them to say anything to me. And I certainly, what the pinnacle of that is, is I don't want them to kill me. So then if you work it back, it's like, I don't want them to hurt me. I don't want them to verbally assault me. And so then you like work it down, you know, the thing. But the ultimate is, yeah, I don't want them to kill me. And so there's tons of things that women do. Tons. We relent a million Starts ways. Starts at school dances. If you're not familiar, it's, there was a controversy earlier this year. Was it in Utah, Colorado? Yes, it was Utah. Utah where it came to light that it was a elementary school dance, which is a little weird that they would be doing it that young. But it came to light that the school told all the girls that if a boy asked them to dance, they have to say yes. And a little girl came home, told her mom, because she didn't know anything about that this was not really the way it has to be. And her mom was like, that's bullshit. And she took it to the to the school and her community was actually very split on the idea. I found that people I spoke to were very split on the idea. I would say that if you were under 50, you were outraged at this idea and were like, what? So you should have the right to say yes or no, no matter what. Now, given that the worst thing you can do is reject a man or in any way laugh at him, right? That's the, that is the worst thing you could do like at all. So then Knowing that all these women who are much older were like the total opposite. They were like, this is ridiculous. The girls should just dance with the guy. You know, do you know how much guts it takes for him to come over there? He's really putting himself out there. And I was like, I don't even know what you're saying right now. Like, this was a large group of women of mixed ages. And I was like, I can't even have this conversation. Like, I think you're crazy. And if you think that this is the way, if that's the way it was, I'm really sorry for you, but that's not the way the world is going. And like, we're not going to keep doing that. Time's up. Time is way up. And like, sincerely, like, that's ridiculous. Like, would you want our daughters told that? No, no, I would want them to size up for themselves whether or not they wanted to dance with this person and not feel required to because it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a gateway to being permissive about who touches them later. 
Absolutely. A hundred percent. And one of the things that we sort of like kind of got down to was the idea that, you know, back in the day, way back in the day, there was this idea of like a dance card and, you know, you kind of signed up to dance with people, you know, that kind of thing. And you could dance with a bunch of different people in a night and like, that's completely okay. And nothing more was expected of you after that. Now, then we were fast forwarding to now and I was saying, you know, if we were at a dance club and a guy asked me to dance and I danced with him and he asked me to dance again and I danced with him and he asked me to dance again and he and I danced with him and then he tries to kiss me or something and I say like, no, I'm not actually interested in you. The only response that I feel I should expect would be him to say, then why did you waste my entire night? dancing with you if you never had any interest in having this go any further. And then like, what kind of nonsense position have I been put in where I can't say no, but if I say yes, I best be willing to follow through on whatever he wants to do. Well, there's only one reason men ask women to dance and it's not because they love to dance. Oh, well, do tell. Spill that tea, Paul. I mean... I'm not going to speak for 100% of the heterosexual male species, but I'm going to speak for like, I don't know, 90% and say, we're not dancing because we like to dance. We're dancing because it puts us close to you. And that's, I mean, that's it. That's the only reason that I can think of possibly that you would do this. So yeah, if, if, yeah, I mean, it's stupid that that I agree with this. <laughs> but so then but then the then the whole thing of what I'm saying is like so then if I agree to dance with you then I'm basically agreeing to have you be like very close it's to me. It's unfortunate but you and then, I mean open your eyes. Right. So but then we're going down this crazy slippery slope, right? Of yeah. like at what point am I allowed to say and that's all she wrote and have you not be like what I'm outraged, you know, like, where's the line? And at what point am I allowed to say no? If you just start with that simple, I asked you to dance and you're required to say yes. Like, how quickly do things get nuts? And again, what we were describing, too, was that a lot of people further back in the day may have waited many, many, many dates before things got more and more physical. But in today's society, we were discussing it amongst people, my peers and younger. And it was agreed upon that between like really like the third date, you're expected to sleep with the guy, maybe the fifth, if you like really serious, but like the third date, which means if you say yes at the beginning, you've only got like two more shots to like get out of this situation if that's not the way you're headed, you know? Uh So it's like, it's such a a restrictive, strange world that we live in. It's really complicated. And I feel badly for both sides because then on the other side, we were having women say, but what about these boys who are so brave as to come up and put themselves on the line and they're just going to be heartbroken and, and humiliated if you say no. And these were some women who only had sons and they were like, you don't know what it's like to have a boy come home and have his heart broken and how the pride issues and the humiliation issues and the embarrassment factor that boys feel is just completely different. And I was like, I would like to just say that we will talk to our own son about the idea that like, yes, it might be difficult, but you have to respect that the other person's not interested. Move on with your life. Like, this is not something we're going to you know, fall apart over, over asking them to dance or whatever. There's something, I don't know, 
I'm not, I don't give a shit about dancing. Dancing could just stop and I would not, nothing about my life would change. Can we have a side note that I make you dance all the time? But. I do. Uh, yeah. But in the absence of you, guess what? Zero dancing. <laughs> and so. I'm okay with that. I think there's something different. I don't know if it's culturally taught or, or just kind of genetic or what I do. I can't, I'm not going to make any claims there, but women, at least the you and your friends approach dancing as kind of like a, let's call it like a, a coordinated, simultaneous routine executed, kind of like an athletic event. Right. I, you're a hundred percent right. Yes. And it is, men, it's a, even a way to interact with one another as women. Like we will do moves that require more than one person. Trained ballroom dancing men, I think that they approach it that way too, you know? And the the closeness of personal space does not change the fact that, I mean, that's, that's just how this maneuver is done. We have to get close to do it. You know, it's the same as football, <laughs> right? You okay, have to get yeah. close to tackle, right? So, but I think I'll, those men that I described that are using dancing to get close to a woman, they don't look at it like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I've had more than one get too close and do too much. So, yes. I I do. And and that's the thing that that I mean as as we're why are we talking about dancing you guys? Why are you in your car right now being like I want to talk about the handmaid's tale? What in the hell are these people talking about? And it's a it it all of course is tied in. And you know, we have a Facebook group that we are admins on and we talk a lot about please don't bring up politics. Why? Because there's so many other interesting topics like this that has nothing to do with even where you live in the world or what your uh, politics are specifically, but it has to do with the idea of like gender stereotypes and like, how does this all work? And why do women have these traits? Like Paul said at the very top of the show, why are we sort of saddled with the idea that we have to go behind the men's backs or be quote unquote conniving or underhanded or any of that? Why? Why are we built this way now? Why have we, why have those who did it survived and those who did it poorly died, you know? <laughs> and so that's sort of where we're at. Now, like that's going to actually push us into this last topic here that I def definitely want to cover. Eden and Nick, okay? This is a fascinating mess that has been very quickly revealed. You know, it started off so subtle. Hey, I just want to put up some yellow decorations. You cool with that? Can we spruce it up? And then what? Nick is trying his darndest to just ignore her. I mean, just to give her like the platitudes it takes to coexist in the same space. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Super. He even picked yellow for the curtains because he knew it was her favorite. And then he had to play Gilead husband on her when she found the letters. He had to intimidate her and and make it seem like he would there'd be consequences if she started snooping around his stuff. Well, and specifically reading. Right? That's a tricky old thing there. You're not allowed to read, remember? Oh, be, yeah. That's, be a, a, good, that's it, a great fallback. It'd but. be an interesting concept to know if Eden was ever taught to read. I would bet she was old enough to get the ABCs and then they, they neganed it. They shut that shit down. <laughs> I, I think it's interesting and it's, it's questionable. I don't know it, how much she would be able to read. Or what she would be able to make out. I don't know. It's a, it's a really, really good question of whether or not she is literate or not. I have a feeling if we watch the next couple episodes and we don't have any screeners on these or anything, um, it would be interesting to see if she accidentally reads something. 
or something, you know, almost like mm. a, just to test her, Yeah, you know, like just to see, like if I was Nick, I would totally put two things over there only with writing, no, nothing, no, no other indicator and be like, right. could you hand me the whatever and see, could she discern which was which, you know, like I'd do some reading test action on her. Do you think Eden is going to end up having figured out what these letters are or, or, or it can't possibly be a dead end trail right there, right? We know that she's going to be trouble. We didn't know how or where. So these letters are as good as anything else for her to investigate further, take to the commander. Who knows? Maybe she already did send him to the commander with his his coming home gift. I don't know. There definitely could be something within that package. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Because he could say, hey, you gave me letters. Did you write those? You're not allowed to write. And he goes, she goes, no, I found them in Nick's things. And then boom. (laughs) I agree. If you could take Nick out of the equation, I mean, recall, I'm saying it's a Nick, Serena, Joy, June, but maybe it's got to be two women that get out of this. Maybe it's, maybe Nick has just got to be on the way out, you know? Very possible. I mean, he is a, he is leading a dangerous life. He has been this whole damn time, right? From the get-go. So, well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode with us, and we hope that we've given you guys some things to think about. I hope I haven't alienated anybody by revealing the true reason that men dance. I and it's it's a risk, but I'll I can I will stand by it. I know that there's people thinking like my husband loves it, dance, but no, I'm telling you, like take a poll at the office, just go around and ask. Like if you had, if you if you had a choice between dancing and not dancing, pick one, and they just <laughs> see if see if my numbers don't add up. Well, and I would also like to say because I think it would be remiss and not that there are plenty of women who utilize dancing to act more sexually, use it as an excuse to, you know, wiggle their hips or do something in a very sexual way that they would not necessarily do because, you know, it's too prim and proper. But under the guise of I'm just dancing, it's just a move I'm doing over here, then they can do some things, too. So I agree with you. Boys can get real confused with that. I know. This is why this is such an interesting and complicated slash complex issue because you know there's a lot of different parts moving i never want to make it out that like men want sex and women don't no that's garbage and i feel like they even show that on this show like serena joy wants it more than fred was ever interested you know supposedly i mean fred gets his kicks off other weird turns out he's already spent (laughs) oh geez (laughs) lord well thanks you guys so much for listening please listen to our other podcasts yeah, if you got this far, you deserve big thanks. This is a long one. And uh, we congratulate you for making it to the very end. Thanks. Thanks. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. Facebook or Twitter or wherever you find us. Please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.